If you blink now, forever hold your dying wish When you set your goal, don't give up on it Remind yourself every morning, noon and night I was born for this, and it's worth the fight You better wake up and smell the coffee I got an amazing guest today, you know Life is a wreck No pun intended, Kyle I got the host of the podcast Life's a wreck on today, Kyle Moore. You know, we're going to be talking a lot about mental health, depression, lots about his journey and why he started his platform, Life's a Wreck podcast, down in eastern Canada in New Brunswick. This guy's actually originally from around where I grew up in the same neighborhood from KW back in the day, but we'll be going on a train wreck of a ride in this one. Folks, strap yourself into that seatbelt. No, we're going to be talking about the broken system within our mental health community and stuff and how it needs a lot of work, you know, so we can prevent lots of these suicides that are happening in the younger generation. But you won't want to miss this one. Kyle brings so much value to the show today. Strap in, put that seatbelt on. Let's blast off. Faith in understanding. You can leap past your fears. And trust you'll stick a perfect landing. Remember to follow your heart if it scares the day. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast from the depths of darkness to the light of success. I am your host, Chris Swick. You know, this podcast is proudly powered by my good friend Tyson Greenan from Puddle Shakers Podcasting. You know, uh, you can go find the show over on Instagram at depths of dark side. Or if you have any inquiries, email me, depthsofdarkside at gmail.com. And if you'd like to listen to this, the show or stream it, head over to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, wherever the hell you can find your podcast, you'll find me there. But with no further ado, all the way from New Brunswick tonight, the host of the podcast, Life's a Wreck, Kyle Moore. You want to take it away and let them know a little bit about yourself? Appreciate it, Chris. Thanks, man. Uh, yeah, so uh, like uh, Chris eloquently put, my name is Kyle Moore, uh, host of Life's Rec, the uh, a podcast that very much prides itself on its uh, approachableness, I guess you could say. I'm a 22-year-old kid from a small town in New Brunswick. Um, I uh, started struggling with mental health issues when, like, honestly, as long as I can remember. Um, and uh, it was one of those things that when I was a kid, didn't know how to talk about it, didn't know who to talk about it with. Um, and it, uh, just kind of progressively got worse as the older that I got. Um, everything kind of came to a head when I was in university, my mental health took a, took a real significant dive, but I always kind of really enjoyed the idea of, um, sometimes kind of just laughing at the craziness of life and really kind of taking everything and just saying like, you know what? kind of fucking shitty like this kind of sucks <laughs> and so from that that was when uh, I decided to uh, I had a bit of a background in radio it was like you know what I love to talk and I, I think that um, I wanted to create something that I could talk about my experiences as a young man dealing with mental health and I could put it out into the world and whoever needed to find it or wanted to find it could find it my parents could go and listen my friends could go and listen and um, I could tell people indirectly about what I was going through um and eventually it kind of just became something that uh, it, it was a, uh, a bit of a release for me. It was kind of part of my therapeutic process, just very cathartically talking about my experiences. 
and the podcast just continued to grow. And now I've been really fortunate to uh, connect with a bunch of incredible individuals, just like you, Chris, uh, you know, within the mental health space, within a bunch of different spaces, kind of like uh, my passion is to tie the conversations surrounding mental health into pop culture. So I've talked with athletes, musicians, artists, um, and uh, just had some fun and had a, uh, a bit of a laugh at some of the craziness. So yeah, it's been it's been a lot of fun and appreciate you having me on tonight, man. No, I appreciate you coming on too and taking the time to out of your day to come on the show as well. It's a, it's a pleasure to have you on and an honor, you know, to talk with a fellow podcaster like yourself. Well, let's dive right into, you know, what was it like struggling at a young age? Like, why couldn't you express your feelings or did you feel like ashamed to do so like at a young age, I guess? Dude, absolutely. Yeah. Well, my biggest thing was like, I grew up in a household that was like the definition of like, and I'm using quotation marks, like perfect. I had a mom and a dad who had been together since high school, high school sweethearts had, I lived in a, you know, pretty sizable house in a small town. Uh, My parents had good jobs. I I never like, I didn't have that, that stereotype. I I was like the white picket fence dream. Me, myself, I was like an honor student. I was captain of sports teams. I did drama. I was on my student body council. Like I literally did everything and I did it like objectively well and so I had this very like idealistic life and so when I was struggling with my mental health like it was like I I had been anxious for a really long time and I didn't really think it was necessarily a problem so when I was a kid like I always just kind of thought that was just part of life I thought everyone experienced that um, kind of stuff and then as I grew up like I saw that mental health was portrayed in some really interesting ways and and not interesting in a good way. Um, you know, it was, it was a bit demonized and it was really serious. Like we had uh, the only time we ever talked about mental health in high school or middle school was when like somebody would come in and do uh, a seminar or, or some kind of speech about like suicide and the extremes of mental health. And, uh, and that was it. And so mental health became this really like daunting, scary thing that if I directly looked it in the eye, like I don't th- didn't know if I'd be able to handle it or I didn't want people to see me differently. Um, I, I was kind of like working really hard to keep this image of who Kyle Moore was alive. And so, uh, so yeah, I didn't feel comfortable t- telling my parents because I didn't want them to worry. I was worried about being a burden on the people around me. And so I just kind of kept it all, all inside. And it, um, it, it, uh, it caused a lot of it, it was not good. It was not good. It, uh, it caused a lot of, uh, shit in my life in terms of like relationships and all that kind of stuff. And just put me in a, put me in a tough spot for sure. So what was like, I guess the boiling point then for you, like you are yeah. a young man still at 22 years old, just finished university and stuff, or maybe you're still going, but no, what finished. was like the turning point, the boiling point, I guess is the better way to put it for you. Yeah. That just the breaking point, I guess. Totally. Yeah, no, I think boiling point's the perfect way because like it it did feel like there that pressure of keeping everything inside was like it was just becoming too much. So, yeah, dude, I would say like it was in my the summer going into my fourth year of university that um, I decided that I started the podcast was back in 2019. Um, And uh, basically I was working for um, a company that turned out to be fraudulent. Um, I was, uh, fresh out of a breakup with the, um, with the university love of my life, you know what I mean? And, uh, and so basically like I had kind of played a large role in the detriment of that relationship because of where my mental health was at and because of how I responded to a lot of different situations. Um, 
And there was just a lot of like self-hatred, like literally as I was going through this whole summer, I, you know, I was working for this company. They turned out to just be some, you know, scammer kind of stuff it was like, okay, so I didn't have a job. I didn't, uh, I didn't have uh, my girl anymore. I was just like, I had already dealt with so much. And so because of those two things piling on to everything, it was the first summer that I had stayed in Toronto and was away from my family in the East coast. Um, and I just basically like I had alienated a lot of friends and uh, my girlfriend at the time, like I pushed a lot of people away. And so I was in this place of being very like alone. And when I'm alone is when uh, I find myself with my thoughts, obviously the most um, it kind of like that hanging around with yourself. And uh, the relationship with myself was a really toxic one. And so the more time that I spent with myself dwelling on the really negative things that were going on in my life, the worse that that self-talk got and it eventually got to a point where I basically was just crying on the kitchen floor um just completely broke down like contemplating you know whether this was like well not even contemplating like depression had me convinced that life wasn't really um worth living and that kind of stuff and so I was just in a really bad spot but that was that was probably what that boiling point looked like and so at that point, did you reach out for help or did you continue to try and do this on your own? Um, yeah, I, I did. I mean, I was, I was somebody who very often couldn't talk about things until it was too late. So like I, like I would myself get through, too, for so many years, I, for, you know, I would wait till it was basically everything was way up here or way down here. It was, it was no in the middle. It was. There was no yeah, in between. Yeah, yeah. It was like either I was ready to explode and like a bomb or yeah, tucked no, away like a little cocoon. <laughs> I wasn't proactive at all when it came to my mental health. I was completely reactionary. And so when I got to that crazy boiling point, I remember I reached out to, um, I, I, I told my parents kind of like vaguely what I was going through, but a very like very sparks note kind of dumbed down version, just kind of like, Hey guys, I've been really anxious lately. I think I might go see somebody um, versus like, Hey guys, I'm like freaking out and I'm going to go see somebody. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I had been going to um, a therapist at Ryerson, the school that I went to um, in Toronto there um, for my third and fourth year. So I started doing therapy like seriously in my third year and, um, and uh, I had done group therapy, I'd done individual therapy, but it was just one of those things where like, I would go and I would talk and it was an opportunity for me to just uh, get things off my chest, but I didn't really like take a lot of what they were saying into my daily life. Um, and so it was kind of just like, uh, like, you know, when you go to like the chiropractor and they like adjust your back and then they say, Hey, here are three stretches you should do every day. And then for you just five minutes <laughs> for five minutes and you just don't do it. Like that, that was what it was like with me for therapy. I'd go in, get my checkup and then I'd leave and just completely leave therapy at the door. Um, and, uh, and, and so, yeah, I'd kind of done it, but I hadn't really like internalized any of it. And so the, when I kind of had that breaking point and then went back to therapy, I went and saw a new person at Ryerson, absolutely fell in love with this therapist that I was seeing. She was incredible. Um, she was one of the first people in my life who I fully opened up to and, her reaction wasn't to offer me a solution. It was just to offer support. Um, she didn't kind of say like, Hey, here's what the steps that we're going to do. She basically just let me sit in those emotions in a safe space and just say like, you know what? And, and I remember verbatim. Um, it was the moment that like changed my, my life where she said, looked me in the eye after I opened up to her and she was just like, you know what? It sounds really hard. And it was the first time in my life in like 19 years where somebody had basically just like looked at me and just been like, wow, 
that sounds tough. And I, and it was amazing that that was what I needed in that moment. And it yeah, uh, she showed empathy to you. Yeah. 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 It was that, um, well, I think she just, she humanized me for once. It wasn't like, I wasn't this machine that you could just like turn a knob and I'd be like back working at this, like a hundred percent efficiency. She really just was like, you know what? You're a, a young man in a, in a, um, very like a tipping point in your life and you've got a lot weighing on your shoulders like that's a lot to go through and that's hard and that sounds tough and i and i was just like holy shit yeah it is finally somebody's like kind of validated that because i was never going to validate myself in that in that pain and that struggle so hearing it from somebody else was uh that first little you know brick laid in the path i guess that i've been on and now like the you know, the stepping stones you've taken and the guests you've had on your show have been amazing, but like you're doing work in your community down East now and stuff like that. I've seen you post, uh, you know, had newspaper articles written about you. You go into classrooms and speak to the younger generation now. Yeah. What's one topic that you would speak to if you had a group of te- graduating teenagers or college students in front of you, what's one piece of advice you'd give them though, Kyle? Oh man, it's, it's what I've, it's what I've thought about a lot because one of my dreams is to do, uh, is to, to give the graduation speech at my high school. Um, and so it's something that I've always thought about, like, what, what would I, um, what would I say? And, uh, I, I think that, um, you know, I always joke about the fact that, uh, life Sarek and I are in the, are in the business of changing worlds. Um, and, and it's, uh, and the reason that I say that is because when you change one small thing within your own world, all of a sudden the, the impact that you have on other people, it will change their world as well. So even if it's a, a minor, minor change that in the grand cosmic landscape gets completely lost, you're still able to make a monster impact on, on somebody just through some very small action. Um, so you know, the, the words it's, it's, it's always kind of like tough. I would say that my biggest thing is the idea that like the greatest gift that you can give, um, yourself and the people around you is just the opportunity for help. Um, I think that for so long I was kind of waiting for somebody to, um, just read my mind and be like, you know what, I think there's a lot going on here and I'm just going to like, I'm just going to know, and I'm just going to tell them exactly what's wrong and blah, 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 blah. But once I was able to actually like articulate what I was going through, the help that I was, um, the help that I was given was so much more understanding and, and catered to what I was going through that I would say, like, just don't get in your own way of your own progress. Like, don't, uh, don't shoot yourself in the foot on the way to recovery. Like there is such a beauty in getting out of your own way. And I think that so many people have to get over that, um, prideful hump. I know I did where it was like, I can't admit that I'm a, I'm a good looking six foot two athlete with nineties. I can't admit that I got shit going on in my head. That's, uh, that's making me suicidal and, and the, the lot. And so like, once I, once I kind of put my pride aside and was like, you know what, I need help. I can't do this on my own. It, it, it changed my world. And then I've been able to make some small impacts on other people because of it. And hopefully been in the business of changing worlds myself. So that's, uh, yeah, I'd say that that was what it would be. That's amazing. I, I love that you bring up, you know, fear and ego sort of in the same mm-hmm. thing though, because it's, it's rings true to me too. Like, it, like fear and ego is what fed my addiction for so many years too. Yeah. Like as a recovering addict and alcoholic myself, that's one of the number one things that I've learned over the years though. And, you know, getting clean and stuff again. And I've heard it from 
social workers and, you know, addictions counselors and stuff I've had on the show, you know, fear and ego is what drives your addiction. If you can get set your fear and your ego aside, you know, and not be so, you know, you still yeah, have yeah. pride, but you got to swallow lots of it. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, like think about as an addict or an alcoholic, how fucking tough that is to say I'm an addict or an alcoholic. Like I understand, you know, when I've had um, people who are recovering addicts on the podcast, like, you know, they say that like you always hear about that, um, that admitting it is the first step kind of thing. And it's, a, it's like a cliche that you see in every movie. But then you really start to think about like, holy shit, like that's a lot for you to actually like admit to yourself kind of thing that there is that issue there. Yeah. Like at the end of the day, no one else can change you. And that's what like I think, you know my parents, my friends and people that tried to drive me, like they knew I had a problem. I just didn't want to see it for so many years. You know I mean? Yeah. Chris didn't have a problem for in my own eyes. I didn't have a problem for so many years, but it was me that had to admit and get basically get down on my knees and just say, Hey, you know, yeah. I give up, man. My hands are yeah. in the air here. Yeah. It's time exactly. to surrender. Like waving the white flag. Finally. <laughs> yeah. Throw the towel in. <laughs> yeah. I'm tapped out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No doubt. No doubt. Well, let's break into a little bit of podcasting too. Yeah. You know, for the, I like to ask other podcasters, you know, do you have a piece of advice or some good piece of advice for someone that's just starting out the show, you know, their podcasting and stuff like that? What would you tell them? Um, man, we could have a whole podcast just about this topic. Like, no, most definitely. Yeah. Um, so basically, I mean, like the one thing I'd say is like, and I think it ties into the, the pride and ego thing. Um, you might, uh, you know, hold yourself in a high regard. And I certainly hope that you do, because I think that that self-confidence is a, is a incredible trait to have. Um, but understand that like things are probably going to take a lot longer than you think. Um, I know when I first started podcasting, I was like, I was first, when I kind of realized that this was going to become more of a, di like less of a diary and more of a full fledged podcast. Um, I was like, I was like, Oh, this is going to be six months. I'll be charting. I'll have this monster podcast. It's going to change my life. I'll be in this completely new trajectory. And, um, and now I'm in a year and a half, two years into it. And I'm just starting to see a bit of that steady incline. Well, they do say it takes about two to three years, almost like till you get really out there and stuff like that you got to be put consistent content out, whether it's weekly or biweekly, but you got to, and also, you know, posting on social media as much as some people hate to do. But if you yeah. put consistent content out, I find, and worthy content and, and authentic stuff, you know, mm. people will congregate and attract to you, you know? Totally. And I love that. I love the idea of consistency because that's what it is. Like, I know that that's why I changed my podcast from a weekly podcast to a biweekly podcast because I was at a point in my life where I couldn't get a podcast out every week. It just, the timing, I was stretching myself so thin. And so I was like, if I want to be able to provide consistently good content, it's going to have to be on a biweekly basis. Um, and, and it's been great. But like, that's the thing is consistency is huge. I've been podcasting for a year and a half and have missed like maybe one or two kind of thing, like maybe. And I don't even think then. Um, so it's like it, consistency is huge. I think if you want people to take your podcast seriously, you have to show that you take yourself seriously and you take your own artistry seriously. Um, because I think at the end of the day, that's what it is. Like it's an art to interview. It's an art to edit. It's an art to distribute and, and, um, both create and retain an audience. So it's, you have to be, you have to be comfortable in that. And you also have to be comfortable with looking at your podcast, um, 
housing platform or whatever for years and years and seeing 10 listens, seven listens, nine, you know what I mean? Like you don't see very much. And then eventually you'll get to the point where you start seeing the 50, 50, whatever, blah, 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 and it gets up there, but it's going to take forever. Um, And the other thing that I wanted to touch on was the idea of authenticity. Massive. There are so many, the podcast market is so unbelievably saturated. If you try to be anybody else but yourself, good luck. Like it's really going to be an uphill battle because there's already somebody who's doing that. And then podcasting is such a niche thing where it's like the audience that you create are going to be there for you and your content. All of a sudden, if you try to make it somebody else's content, it's just not going to, not going to be, it's not going to have that same impact that you might want and you're not going to be able to keep them around. So just be yourself, have fun with it. Jeez. At the end of the day, have fun. If there's other one other thing I could, yeah, I like you touch on the numbers, but you know, it's not all about the numbers. I remember having mm-hmm. a, you know, a, a guest on, I think it was like episode three or four. And he's like, after the first few months, I didn't even look at the numbers. You know, I don't worry about the numbers. You know yeah. what I mean? If I can impact one person's life or I get a comment or some feedback from one person, I've done my job at the end of the day. It doesn't matter. Oh. The numbers don't count it. You know what I mean? If you're putting out something that you believe in yourself and you are putting out authentic stuff, like we've already mm-hmm. touched on, you know it, that's all that matters at the end of the day. As long as you like it, that's you don't have to worry about if anyone else likes it. I don't give a shit yeah. if anyone else likes it. I exactly. like it. <laughs> yeah. The best piece of advice I ever got when I was doing, I was doing some acting in Toronto and a friend of mine who's been on the podcast, um, she was on Degrassi and she was a voice actress on Caillou and like has done a lot of really cool projects. And I don't know uh, if I could be friends with her if she's on Caillou. No. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what character she was. I never really asked, but uh, yeah, and when she told me, I'm not gonna lie, I fangirled out a little bit. I liked Caillou back in the day, uh, fanboyed out. Um, but uh, but yeah, the the piece of advice that she gave me about acting, and I and I translated it over to podcasting was um, when you enter a room, uh, when you when you go and uh, you hit the stage, that time is yours. People might have paid, the, you know, people might spend their time. To, to come, but you don't owe your time to those people. They owe their time kind of like to what you're doing. They came to see you. And so you're able to take that space completely as what do I want to do with my time? And, uh, and that's helped me with interviews. That's helped me with just like solo podcasts and everything. It's like, this is my time. I'm going to have as much fun with it. I'm going to enjoy it because if I'm not enjoying it, my audience is going to know that. And so, yeah, it's just, it's just all about it's, it's your time. Have fun, do it for you. Yeah. Exactly. So uh, like, how does it look for you when you prepare for an episode? You know, mm-hmm. like I like learning from everyone too, but what does it look like for you when you prepare for an episode or do you just wing it sometimes? Uh, yeah, it's a bit of both. Um, I, uh, I always have for any episode that I do, I always have like a bit of a skeleton that I have down. Um, basically just like, uh, I always call it my core questions. Um, I've usually got three or four core questions that I make sure throughout the episode, I want to hit these four. I want to make sure at the end of the episode, I can check those all off. Um, but from those four, typically like if you just let your curiosity, not, I'm a curious person. It's what I, I love talking to people. And so when I do a little bit of preliminary research, get down the facts, uh, get, or get down those core questions. Once I've asked them and they go off on something, if I pick up on something they say, that completely deviates from the other questions. I'm just going to kind of pull at that string a little bit. So well, maybe yeah, you can relate to something someone's saying too. I do the exact same thing. Yeah. And it's, it's nice. Like we're me asking you a question and I was like, Oh, I, I can relate to what he's saying now. Let's go into this. 
Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. And so that, and it's fun. And that's the thing is like, I, I've been on podcasts where they have sent me the questions beforehand. Um, they've said, hey, here are the questions, the exact questions we're going to ask you. I basically had the sheet right in front of me. They'd ask the question, I'd give them the answer. They'd ask the question, I'd give them the answer. And it was just like, and it just doesn't feel, it feels so stale. And so that's the thing, even when I have guests on and they ask for- it's staged, I feel like I have yeah. some guests- that want me to send questions like, you know, but I don't do that though. Like I, like I say, I don't say I'm Joe Rogan. Like I, I don't say that. Yeah. Like I don't go out and say I'm Joe Rogan, but I run like sort of a Joe Rogan style where I just, I like organic conversation, mm -hmm. you know, and yeah. I use this app called Poddex. So I'll plug it in in every episode because I love Travis Brown, you know, the creator of this app. And he has like thousands upon thousands of questions in this and this app that he's created which is amazing for podcasters you know he's been in the podcast business almost a dozen years now so I, I, and that's the thing is i love that because like why not throw and that's so what you were talking about you don't send those questions through like when people will ask for them i'll, I'll do the same thing where i send them like four questions and they're like this is it i'm like no, no no this isn't it but those are like the four that we're gonna hit for sure but whatever happens in between those four questions if you don't want to, if that is going to stop you from doing the podcast, that's totally fine. I completely understand. Not everybody's comfortable with that, but I want to be able to provide my listeners with an, as, as authentic an interview as I can. And if you just have all the questions, it's just not as fun. No, it's not. It's like, it's like a robot almost. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like the whole point of me doing this, this dumb podcast is so that I can, you know, have these amazing conversations with people. And it, like, that's not going to happen if I just try to like, be like, here, beep, up, boop, here's your questions. Like, give me the, you might as well just voice record yourself giving the answers and then I can just splice it together. Exactly. No, <laughs> and I, I totally agree with you. Like, uh, there's, I just don't like sounding like that. Like you said, mm -hmm. sounding yourself, sounding authentic. And this is the yeah. way I roll and this is the way I like to do it. And I guess if you don't like it at the end of the day, then I guess we just don't have you on the show. <laughs> exactly. And that's the thing. It's like, you never want to be a dick and just be like, oh, no, fuck you. You're not going to come on my podcast now. But, it's at the end of the day, as like like we just talked about, it's our podcast. It's yeah, our it's not your podcast. So you're not going to tell me how to run my show. It's like exactly. it's like me going to my boss at work and telling him how to run the car dealership I work yeah. at. It just isn't going to fly. Exactly, exactly. And that's <laughs> I'm probably going to be told to fuck off and leave. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So no, it is it is funny, but uh, yeah, it's it's a it is a it's a beautiful thing just to chat with people. No, and I I just thoroughly enjoy it. That's why I got into it. I just. You know, I'm a chatterbox. I have the gift of gab, as I've been told. Yeah. Sometimes I don't shut up, but whatever. That's why I like podcasts. <laughs> yeah, that that can't be the downfall of some podcasters. You're like, you're like, okay, wrap it up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but now a little more serious talk. You know, like yeah, back yeah. to like let's bring it back into like a little bit of mental health. You know, I remember you posting a while ago about a younger girl, a teenage girl mm -hmm. down in New Brunswick. You know, and I see lots of the same things happening in Ontario here too, especially with this lockdown. They, we're yeah. one of the only provinces still in lockdown and the suicide rates with the younger generation are going up, but the fucking government isn't listening to anything going on there. They're just posting, you know, like you see CBC post, oh, the suicide rates are going up or, you know, attempted suicides. We're ending up with our hospitals overflowed with these younger kids and stuff like that. Well, that's because you're not providing. I, I think the system is so broken. What do you think? Oh, dude, you know, I mean, yeah, broken is the right, it's shattered. Like it, it's, we've been in a mental health pandemic for the past year. And the only thing that the government has done is just put out a couple posters that are like, hey, keep your head up. We're all in this together. 
And it's like, first of all, shut the hell up because we're not, we are all in this together, but at very varying different degrees of isolation and, and togetherness, because there are people who have like lost their jobs, lost their, like their relationships have fallen apart. Like for, for me, I'm in the pandemic too, but I'm in a small town in New Brunswick with fairly lenient COVID restrictions right now. Parents who are government employees who haven't lost their jobs. I'm in an incredibly privileged position. And I, I go to men's groups with men who have lost their jobs and, and husbands or wives or, or whatever. And, and it's like, we might all be in this together, but it's, it's not the same pandemic for everybody. Um, yeah, man. So, so that was Lexi Dakin, uh, the girl that you were talking about. Um, and, uh, and she lost her life to suicide, uh, uh, I guess a couple months ago. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was a tough one. COVID played a big role in, in it. Um, the isolation that she felt was, was big. Um, and, uh, she was somebody who was directly failed by, like, I mean, we're all directly failed by the system in one way or another, but she, did the courageous thing of, of accepting help when it was provided to her um, by her guidance counselor who took her after she had um, had almost been killed by suicide earlier in the year. Um, she had displayed some of the warning signs, red flags. Her guidance counselor advised that she go to the hospital and took her to the hospital in Fredericton, New Brunswick here. Um, and, uh, and basically this girl in her moment of crisis was made to wait for eight hours in the ER um, without seeing a soul. And then when the guidance counselor said that her father should be there with her, um, they said that he couldn't come in because of the COVID restrictions. So the guidance counselor had to stay with her. And then after that eight hours, um, a nurse basically came up to her, a 16 year old girl in a, in a suicidal state and said, Hey, you have to be the one to make a decision about your um, about whether you sit for another two hours and we call in somebody or whether you take a two week referral. And this 16 year old girl was given that choice. And, uh, she, because she felt like a burden on our healthcare system and the people who were working, uh, she decided to, uh, she decided to take the two week referral and then died by suicide a few days later. Um, it's ridiculous, man. Like heartbreaking. Should have been, it should have been like dealt with then and there, especially with a younger child like that. Like it's, she's still a child. Well, that's the thing is we don't, we don't take kids seriously and it, and it boils my blood. It's one of the biggest things that I'm working on right now is like actually educating adults on the fact that like, it's so easy for us, especially adults who are older and who haven't like, I'm, I'm 22. I've been a teenager three years ago. So like, I, I understand that, um, sometimes that feeling of like, listen, I know what I'm going through, but yet nobody's taking me seriously until something like this happens. And so recognizing those warning signs and taking these kids seriously is such a massive thing. We can't just brush them under the rug and think that just because they're a 16 year old girl that they're being dramatic or this is for attention or whatever, like it's, it is heartbreaking. And so, and so, yeah, we're, we're losing our youth because of it. It's just negligence and it's, it's gross and it's at every level. Like you said, it's in Ontario, it's in, it's here, it's all across Canada and the world. It's just, it's, it's heartbreaking. I just don't understand why they can't take them seriously. Yeah, I understand. And some kids are the same too. Like, you know, my daughter, for instance, too, and I, I'll speak on it. Like, sometimes she'll say everything's okay just because she doesn't want to piss you off and stuff. And you can see yeah. it in younger kids, though, too. You know what I mean? Like, trying to get them to open up is harder, though. I, I will be honest, as a parent myself, it is harder to get them to open up or 
when mm-hmm. I'm trying to have chats with my son, you know what I mean? Like I'm trying to rebuild these relationships that I wrecked my, that personally I wrecked my relationships with my kids because of my addiction and stuff like that mm-hmm. for so many years. I'm working on rebuilding that through therapy and stuff like that too. So, mm-hmm. but it's, it's hard though, man. It definitely yeah. is. It's harder to get the younger generation to speak. You, you hit it right on the, like they feel like burdens probably and stuff like that. Yeah. You are right. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's tough, man. It's tough. And, and that's the thing is like, our healthcare system here when it happened, um, basically we're just like, whoops, our bad. And then just kind of wanted to completely push it aside. But um, thankfully there was quite a bit of public backlash. Um, they've launched a, a bit of a, an investigation into what happened. So hopefully that turns up something. It, my biggest thing is like, it really seems like the government um, is in a position of, let's wait for the news cycle to stop. And then continue on business as usual. And that's the thing that bugs me the most is like, there is a family who is going to wake up tomorrow and their daughter's not there and their sister's not there. And these government employees who are basically just giving themselves a slap on the wrist, uh, these people in our healthcare system are just saying like, well, we'll learn for next time, maybe. And, and it's just, it's just crazy. It's crazy to think that this isn't something that like is seen as a, as dramatic a tragedy as it is. Like it's just one of those things where mental health has just so been discounted for so long. And that's one of the reasons I almost ended up very much like her, you know, because of the fact that it's like, it just was never something that was seen as an emergency. Like if I had went to the ER the same night that Lexi was there and I had cut off my thumb or my, my finger, my finger was gone. I got in a, a little bit of an accident. My pinky was gone. I would probably not die from losing my pinky. Probably not. But definitely not within 48 hours. But there was a girl in there who had an injury and an illness that we couldn't see. And that was basically had her on a 48-hour ticking time clock. And she got pushed to the side for hours and hours and hours. And I would have been seen immediately. And and that just like, and that just, it, it's got to change. No, yeah, exactly. You hit it right on the the nail on the coffin there. Like, you don't see everyone's pain. You know, you got to put yourself in other people's shoes mm-hmm. and take yourself yeah. out of your own shoes. And I, and I think there needs to be more training. You know, I, I I feel they're getting somewhere, but there's not enough yet. Like, there needs to be more training around the realm of mental health, especially with the younger generation. Well, with anyone in general, but the younger generation too. How to train? Yeah. About, and taking care of it properly, you know what I mean? And the warning signs and stuff like that. You you have to have a trained nurse there, not just uh, your normal RPN or whatever. There should be some like in-depth training you have to go through in university or whatever it is to, you know, qualify. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Like, I think it's education on every level. It's teaching our youth how to articulate what they're feeling. It's teaching um, parents and, and the older generations how to uh, respond to moments of crisis within their own families and, and um, that kind of stuff. It's teaching our nurses how to triage mental health patients and evaluate them within 10, 15 minutes of them coming into an ER. Um, it, it's on having more registered psychiatrists in hospitals and schools. It's it's everything, but it is it is like you said, education on every level, and that's something that Life's Rec takes a lot of uh, takes very seriously. Is this idea of like because of the idea that we want to incorporate mental health conversations into pop culture, you know, because of the guests that we have on, like 
my biggest thing is like, that is what changes a generation. Like when you incorporate such an important conversation very organically and naturally into conversations they're already having about TikTok and music and sports and whatever else, that's when you start to see like dramatic cultural change, uh, like within this next generation. So that's what I'm trying to do around here. Um, and so far so good, but, um, yeah, there's, there's just so much that needs to happen. And it's the, the scary thing is, is that like, this is when we need it right is right now, but who knows how many years down the road, this like significant change is. No, it's, it's like, yeah, with the mental health change, you know, with the social justice stuff, like there's so many things, but I was really grateful the other day to see that Derek Chauvin was guilty on all three charges too. Like, and yeah, it might take a while for the appeal, but I'm glad he didn't got his bail revoked too. What do you feel on that situation? Oh, dude, I'm just happy to see a killer behind bars, man. Like the guys, uh, the guys, uh, yeah, I don't have the words to describe, uh, fucking dirtbag Chauvin, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's just like, it, it's crazy to see the fact that it took so long for a man who killed somebody on video in front of a crowd of people to get sentenced and to be found guilty is so mind boggling. And I think it speaks so much towards like this, uh, corrupt power that, that law enforcement and that kind of stuff holds on a lot of very marginalized communities where it's like, literally you saw it happen. (laughs) Like we saw it happen. And yet it was the biggest case in the, in the world basically. And it took months months to to get to this point so it's just it it blows my mind but hopefully this is a bit of that sending a message to other corrupt racist people within uh within law enforcement that like there is a there's a reckoning coming and that people are are sick of it like people are fed up there's not going to be that brush it under the rug anymore like uh, i hopefully the that this is a that first step in the right direction no, and I, and I totally agree with you there. Like enough is enough of brushing it under the rug. Like I've been with friends of color and stuff like that too. I don't want like black friends, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, walking down the street and I've seen them be treated differently and I could be seen by the same cop walking down the street and it's just a, Hey, how's it going to me? If it's, if I'm just that white person, you know, I feel they're like, I don't, I've never been in their shoes, but I've seen it happen firsthand though, too, like in here in Canada as well. Like there's many of them out there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We we pretend that this is just an issue in the States, but like it exists hugely here too. Like it's a, you know, the, the idea of systematic racism is that's what it is. It is a system of racism that exists all over the world. Yeah. Or even those guys using their abuse of power. Like, I don't know if you saw up in Barry the other day, you know, I know this is pre-recorded, but I was just baffled. Like this OPP officer, they were the kids were just playing at a skate park, whether whether with our lockdown rules or whatever, they were not allowed to. They weren't social distancing. He was caught on camera shoving a twelve-year-old boy to the ground and taking off with his scooter. Yeah, like like what what gave him the right to shove like a little young boy like that just because he wasn't social distancing? It's yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's just, it's so fucked up. Like it, it just blow, like, it's like what kind of individual is like, you know, going to pretend like they're dedicating their lives to like the betterment of, you know, people's safety. But then it's like, but then goes and does something like that. Like it's, it's just like, yeah, it's, it's nuts. 
you want to talk about mental health too, especially in these communities. Holy shit. That's been such a big thing that I've been learning about these past, this past six months is like the, the amount, um, the influence that like law enforcement has on the mental health of these communities is crazy. It's so impactful because it's like, you literally don't know if you leave the house and get stopped by a cop, if you're going home. And that's like to carry that around with you must be fucking exhausting. So I can't even, yeah, I can't even imagine what that whole situation is like from a mental health standpoint, let alone everything else that they have to deal with. It's scary. You know, I feel for my friends of color and, you know, the BIPOC community and stuff like that, because they're scared shitless. And I've talked to some of my friends, like they're scared shitless to just walk, you know, down the street to go get a pack of smokes or a you know, beer from the beer store or whatever it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're humans just like you and I, they're, they're no different. Yep. Oh, dude, absolutely. And that's the thing is like, we just, there's, there has to be a bit of a, uh, a movement within empathy uh, that like has to happen because the, the fact that we don't on a, on a whole level, see everyone is as equal members of the human race is just, crazy like <laughs> it, it blow and it, it it comes from a place of like obviously i grew up with uh you know my parents who were really like really accepting and open and great and they educated me and, and sh- like exposed me to a lot of culture which was incredible at a young age especially growing up in a predominantly white town um so i was really lucky that way but like it does it does blow my mind when i hear how people talk about people of color i'm like what the fuck like, what do you, what do you mean? Like you, that you don't think that they should be doing this, that, or the other. It's like, that doesn't make any sense to me. Like, this is, this is a, just a another person. Like who cares what their, you know, what color of their skin or whatever. Like just, yeah, it blows me away, man. It's yeah, man, it's a sad, sad world out there. You know, it is a really sad world, but you know, one day at a time, I hope things get put into place and better whether it was with the mental health and social justice stuff you know we just got to keep keep at it that's all we got to do man putting ending the stigma around all this shit man with what we're doing absolutely bro absolutely work towards that better tomorrow make make people afraid not to talk about it (laughs) yeah yeah exactly (laughs) so what are three things you do on a daily basis kyle to keep your mental health in check you know or for yourself yeah, uh, it's a it's a great question, and obviously, like you know, I'm sure it's a question that you get asked a lot as well. Um, it, it, it's interesting for me; like, it changes day to day. Um, I wouldn't say that there are three things that are like staples of my uh, of my day that I, I do continuously. I have become a, a huge believer in listening to my body, um, and, and just like in, in meeting myself where I'm at. Like, if it's one of those things where I wake up and I just feel like mentally just garbage. I, I taper my expectations for the day. I, I give myself permission to feel like shit. I carve out a few hours where I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to like sit down and, and be a bump on a log and, and not do anything and just kind of mentally like recover, um, eat healthy, get some good food into me, like refuel, get a good night's sleep tonight kind of thing. Like I am somebody who I used to just like be that, that, uh, you know, what's the next wall that I can run through kind of just like, you know, mental health, nothing, boom, 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 boom. And eventually it just got to the point where it was like, it exhausted me so much um, to the point where I just like complete mental burnout for weeks and weeks. And that's when that depression and that kind of stuff starts to creep in. Um, So now I just, I really, I genuinely just listen to my body. 
It's like, I, I'm feeling down. I'm going to go get a little exercise in, see if that helps my mood. If not, I'll have a healthy lunch. Does that elevate me a little bit? Drink a lot of water. If none of that works, I'm just going to go to bed early that night. I'm going to read. I'm going to play some chess. I'm just going to like stimulate my mind in a way that like is it in a positive way that has nothing to do with like self-reflection or anything like that. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd say that, that that's the biggest thing that I do now is just listen to Kyle. Go with the flow, eh? Go with the flow. That's it. Nice. I appreciate that, man. Yeah. What about what you? If, uh, what about me? Well, yeah. <clears throat> you know, like you said, it changes on a day to day sometimes, but I like to get up some, you know, I try not to, I'm trying to get better at it and not pick up that phone, you know, and get on social media right when you wake up and pick yeah. up, Oh, who messaged me or how many yeah. likes to that? You know what I mean? But it's, <laughs> yeah. it's trying to get better. But, uh, I, I like to read a few pages out of the book I'm reading or whatever book I have about four or five books on the go or, and then I, uh, there's a daily reflection reflection book. Like I don't really go to not narcotics anonymous meetings anymore, but there's a reading every day. I have a book that every day of the year, there's a different reading and I just like reading that. And it's a good little reflection, you know, for the day. Yeah. And I try to write down some things I'm grateful for too, as well. I love that. Yeah. yeah. And then, and, and also, you know, I got a few things I do, but I do random things too. Like sometimes I'll get up and send four or five people a nice video message just mm -hmm. to check in and see how they're doing. And if uh, I get one in return, great. I yeah. do, or, Hey, Chris, thank you for that message. You know, I really needed that today. You know, just check in on people too. So I, I love that idea of checking in on people. That's something that I've, I've tried to do more of in my own life, especially given the pandemic and the fact that I've got friends in Toronto who are completely locked down and that kind of stuff right now. So um, oh, anytime you have, you can check in with somebody, do it. It's just the best. Or even I'll go on and try and find a new, you know, I like building a network too on, you know, on Instagram. That's where I'm really most active as well. But, you know, don't just go and like people, like actually read the mm -hmm. post or listen and interact with someone, you know, like give them your genuine feedback or tell yeah. them you really, if you really like their content, tell them why. And, you know, or if you think they could do something, you know, give them an idea or, you know, give them some constructive feedback too. It's, it's good to build a relationships there too. And that's how you build a network or a team around you, whatever you yeah. want to call it. Yeah. 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 I mean, geez, team is the right word. I think it's, I think it's perfect. Yeah. So, well, before we go, where can everyone find you on social media and before you fill in, but guys, I just want to say one thing though, head over to Kyle's show. Life's a wreck. I want you to leave him a review tonight. Get, you know, even listen for 10 minutes of a show let them know what you think you know good or bad kyle loves all feedback i do know that i do i do it's true yeah man i and dude i appreciate that so much thank you um yeah people and, and i'm always open to uh, connect with people on instagram feel free to dm me um on my personal account which is at morzy m-o-o-r-z-y-y-y or uh, at life's Rec podcast um, on Instagram are the two, uh, the two places you can get in touch with me. And as, uh, as Chris said, I am open to any kind of feedback, uh, good or good or bad. It's just great to hear from you guys. And, uh, and yeah, um, I, I really appreciate that, man. Thank you. You're very welcome, man. And it was great to have you on the show tonight, man. Awesome chat. And I got lots of value from it as well. And, you know, I took lots of things in and, you know, can't wait. 
Yeah, I, I can't wait to hear it, man, for sure. And and to uh, just connect with your audience a little bit. And yeah, this is this has been a lot of fun. So we'll uh, we'll definitely we'll definitely be in touch for sure. I mean, you know that uh, it's one of those things I look forward to uh, when I see your name pop up in my DMs. I'm like, yeah, I get to talk to Chris. So <laughs> it's uh, it's always a good day, man. Yeah, you too, man. Well, I hope you have the enjoy the rest of your day and take care, buddy. You too, man. Peace. I hope you enjoyed today's episode, guys, and I hope you have an amazing rest of your weekend. Uh, Kyle just brought so much impact to the show. I learned so much from this gentleman today. He's a young, up-and-coming podcaster. We started, or I think, around the same time, or he started a little before me, but we've had some of the same guests on, and he just puts it to work. So I suggest you guys go head over to Kyle's show on Apple Podcasts. Leave the man a review. Head over to his Instagram page, Life's a Wreck Podcast. Check it out. Support him. Hit that follow button. Hit that subscribe button wherever he is. You know, you don't want to miss out on this guy's stuff and what he has to say. He brings so much impact. And don't forget, every Wednesday on his Instagram page, Life's a Wreck Wednesdays. But um, yeah, and then a little bit about Monday's guest coming up here with Liam McVarnock. You know, this guy is born and raised in Nova Scotia, a young entrepreneur at heart. He's a fitness trainer. But the thing I really, really want to get you guys interested in, this guy and his buddies are going to be doing a double Ironman for charity to raise, hopefully to raise $100,000 for big brothers and big sisters out on the East Coast. So strap yourself in for this one when it comes back next week, folks.